The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Happy holidays from the Hennessy Report by Keystone Partners. I'm Dave Hennessy, and today's guest is Erin Lovering, the CHRO of Edelman Financial Engines. She started in psychology but missed the business context. She believes HR's job is to get the very best out of leaders, help bosses be better bosses. She's focused on the employee journey from the end-to-end experience, paying attention to those pulsing moments around sentiment, and really helping employees understand that they can grow more in supporting that growth and many other topics we discussed together. It was a great year on the Hennis Report. We really appreciate all of you, our audience, and the amazing guests that are willing to join us. And we're excited about yet another year in 2024. Happy New Year. And now our conversation with Erin Lovering. Well, Erin Lovering, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. And the first question, of course, is what's an early life moment that as you look back on it now was an inflection point or informs who you become as a professional, as a person? Yeah, I, I love this question because it feels like a minute ago, even though I can assure you it was not. Um, I was a clinical psych major in college, thought for sure that was the path I was going to be on. And I was working in a clinic that was on campus, but actually saw patients in the community with PhD students. Being in that environment for three years, I recognized that something was missing. And through talking to a mentor at the time, I recognized that what I was missing was the business environment. And so I loved the assessment of human behavior, but I was missing the piece around the business environment. And so thankfully, this person introduced me to what was industrial psychology at the time. (laughs) And so that was that was very early on. But it was really sort of that shaping of what I believed HR was becoming. And so I was able to secure an internship at what was ITT Sheridan Corp um, Mm -hmm. at the time. Their corporate headquarters in Boston had an internship in HR. and, And really, that cemented for me what I was hoping to do. So I felt like I was really lucky that, you know, early in my life, I figured out kind of what I wanted to do. And so I was able to get an internship and the rest is history. Um, I actually got an offer from them to, you know, come back after I graduated and 45 days before I graduated, they laid off 300 people. So all of a sudden this clarity and newfound career I had was gone. But thankfully after some interviews over the summer, uh, I secured a role in Fidelity Investments um, in HR and went on to get my master's um, and really sort of further my interest and passion in that space. But I was lucky that I had that great inflection point early on of the clinical environment was not for me. Right. So you like the psychology piece, but you wanted to know how it applied to the bigger system, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's great. Well, let's talk about now your head of HR at Edelman Financial Engines, which we might call EFE because it's a long handle during this podcast. But (laughs) But, I mean, I knew financial engines, but Edelman certainly had a big name in the financial planning space. And I think there's great marketing that was done by Edelman. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the history of those two companies to form Edelman Financial Engines and a little bit about what the business model is and the scale. Today, Edelman Financial Engines is 
the number one independent RIA per Barron's for six years in a row. So we're quite proud of that. Edelman Financial Services was something that Rick Edelman and his wife started um, about 25 or 30 years ago, and it was really focused on helping people with their financial lives um, and making sure that they created trusted relationships with advisors to help, you know, what I would say was sort of the average American in making sure that they made the right financial decisions. Financial Engines, on the other hand, was one of the early leaders in managed 401k and helping, you know, we call today employee planning. And so it was working with plan sponsors to offer services for employees through their workplace managed accounts. So what's fascinating is, you know, these two organizations came together end of 2018, early 2019. And probably an unknown or less known fact is that financial engines had actually just previously bought the mutual fund store. So they had already started down that journey of of starting to explore bringing in wealth planning capability. And so, you know, they merged at the end of 2018, spent most of 2019 starting to kind of harmonize and integrate, and then the pandemic happened. But today we are focused on and believe that everybody deserves to move their financial lives forward. That's the mission of what we are. And so looking at everything from how do we support you through your first paycheck all the way through retirement and bringing all the capabilities we have to bear. So we have about 1.3 million individual clients um, and about 10 million employees using our services through plan sponsors. So we are the little engine that could in a lot of ways. Um, You know, when I started, we were 1,100 employees. That was back in April of 2020. Note the time, a very interesting time to start in an organization. Yes, We're about 1,600 today. Like many companies, I think we've grown a fair amount during the pandemic. We've got about 40% of our workforce has been hired since the pandemic. And so we're on this very interesting journey today of what is our next chapter? We have a new CEO, Jay Shaw, who just joined us from Personal Capital. And so I think we're in this very pivotal place of who we've been, what are we bringing forward? How do we evolve our capabilities and services to continue to support what these clients need? And how do we grow as an organization? So to be the head of HR right now, I think, is an amazing opportunity. And so I'm excited to be on this journey. That's exciting. Could you talk a little bit about the culture of these two organizations that are now one? And how is it going, bringing them together during a pandemic? I imagine it's probably not gone as quickly as some other merges pre-pandemic. I'm sure it takes more work. The companies merged, you know, really effectively in 2019. And so that was focused more on the strategy, the infrastructure, et cetera. And I think they were starting to scratch the surface around some of the cultural things when the pandemic happened. And so then all of a sudden, like everybody else, you know, you're you're now sending people home. You're asking people to build relationships remotely, et cetera, et cetera. And so when I look at our engagement survey data specifically around culture, I think what we're hearing is it's not bad. We just don't know what it is, right? Because (laughs) I think there is this very strong legacy Edelman culture. There's a very strong legacy financial engines culture. And then there's, you know, 40% of the population who didn't know either independently. So we are, as an executive team, spending time talking about you know, what are those anchors that we never want to let go of that makes us special? Um, And then what are those things that we probably need to let go of because it's going to prevent us from moving forward? So I think we're starting to embark on a journey to look at what are those cultural pillars, if you will, in terms of the norms, the storytelling, the behaviors, et cetera, that we believe are important to keep going with And then what are some of those things that we want to introduce net new because we now have this opportunity 
given a new CEO, given kind of a next chapter in our strategy. So I think the culture in a lot of ways is anchored in innovation. Entrepreneurial spirit for sure comes through with both of these companies. But I think now it's about what is the culture and those pillars that we want as we go forward. So I think there's some actually some really good work ahead. That's great. And uh, maybe a little bit about your HR philosophy. You mentioned your fidelity background. I knew you had great mentors. You've told me about that in the past in your HR career. Just a little bit about your personal approach. And then what is your priority for your HR team? I formally stepped into the role in March, maybe informally a few months before then. And I think what we recognized was we needed sort of a foundational reset. And so I've always believed that HR's job is to get the best out of organizations and get the best out of leaders. That has been my philosophy for as long as I've been doing this. Um, when my kids were younger and they'd say, mom, what do you what do you do exactly? Um, <laughs> in its most simple terms, I would say, I help bosses be better bosses. Um, and if we do that well, then the organization and the employees benefit, right? And so for the EFEHR team this year, our priority is really anchored in four key areas. One was around optimizing the organization for growth and change. And so that showed up in org design work, that showed up in coaching, that showed up in a reduction in force when we brought two divisions together. And so we had to lead an effort that was thoughtful, sensitive, objective, etc. The second is modernizing our tools, policies, and programs. Where are some legacy things that we need to change, we need to modernize, we need to bring efficiency to? So again, a little bit more foundational, but I think we're going to build on that journey in 2024 and think about where things like AI will be introduced. The third is around enabling a robust employee and manager experience. And so some of that is through changes we've made to our HR service delivery model. Like many small companies, you know, HR was sort of the go-to for everything, even if we didn't own it. And so this year we've tried to be really clear about who HR is today, what the experiences and capabilities we have, But most importantly, how do you engage with us? Really introducing three specific channels. One is how do we improve self-service, meeting employees where they're at, providing the information they need, how and when they need it. The second would be through this sort of central Ask HR portal that allows people to do more advanced search capability, but they can also then open up a ticket if there's some specific thing they need and we route that to the expert. And then the third is through their HR business partner that's aligned to the business. And the idea is, If the general employee population can be satisfied through those first two channels, then the line HR team can really focus on the people managers. And so of the 1,600 employees we have, we have about 220 people managers. And so if HR BPs in the line can focus on building those skills, building those capabilities, coaching them, then those managers are going to help improve the employee experience overall. So that's that's a big one there for us. And then fourth was around, you know, cultivating an engaged and integrated HR function. And so this was very intentional as a new leader to say, we are not the cobbler's kids. I want to make sure that we have a clear strategy. We have a clear model. We show up as one. No matter which HR business partner is presenting, it's consistent throughout the whole organization. Is that what you're talking about? That's a part of it, Dave. And I think the other part of it was ensuring that whether one of our COEs were leading something or an HRBP was leading it, we all knew about it. We all made ah. sure that we we were clear about the priority. We were clear about kind of the design and adoption of a program. And so one of the things we introduced was a specific alignment model where each HR business partner is aligned to one of our COE leaders. 
And so they're there as a thought partner as we design things, but also really intentionally, their job is to bring the voice of the customer into the design of our central solutions. I hold them responsible for that. In the line, you have to know the business, you have to know the competitive landscape that you know your group is playing in, you have to know the culture, you have to know the talent. But part of it is ensuring that that voice of customer is brought into the center design of what our HR team does. And so I think that's allowed us to sit in each other's seats a little bit and understand you know, why it's important we work together and why we show up as an integrated HR function. So I think we've made really good progress. I think people appreciate each other's experiences a little bit more. And I think having us you know, I always say run HR like a business and make sure that we're bringing the voice of the customer into the design is is now kind of just part of how we operate. Whereas in the past, we probably didn't do that as exclusively. That's great. And what are some of the early wins for the customer, the employee, the managers? What are some of the things you're hearing? We can measure what are some of the things that we're still getting asked about. Once we were able to get the data, we were able to see that there were some trends in a few specific areas of questions. So one was around benefits, one was around tuition reimbursement and one was around our sabbatical. You know, we said when we're getting these questions repeatedly through the various channels, we can now change how we communicate and market. And so we will do a spotlight on something as a result of those things and we'll see those requests come down. So, you know, we're able to use technology and data to drive how we communicate, how we engage. So I think people have seen hopefully a lift there. I also think managers now see the value differently of having HRBP be their strategic thought partner versus just the person to answer policy questions. I had a manager say to me, I'm having conversations with HR that I never had before about my strategy, about my business model. Um, and I said, great, that's that's what we want, right? And so it's not that we don't want to answer some of these questions. We just don't want to keep answering them. And You want to really automate want, that or find a, a center of excellence it. for those kinds of questions, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. So I think having the HR business partners be able to align you know, with the leaders and help them is really great. And I think having our COE leaders partner more, be able to bring their expertise to the table in a different way, you know, I think has, has helped us show up better as a function. That's great. I like what you said earlier about your job when you tell your kids, I uh, help bosses be better bosses. There was a great article written by McKinsey um, at the beginning of the year, and it talked about pushing more responsibility that sometimes ended up on HR's lap to the frontline managers, mm -hmm. right? And that HR just be there for critical moments in the process. It sounds like what you're doing really mirrors that goal for sure. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things we're focused on and, and will make a huge priority for 2024, and whether or not we call it the year of the manager or not is, is to be determined, <laughs> but first being really clear about what do we expect of people managers? And so we can talk all about it, but I think it's when you narrowed in and say, here are those things we expect people managers to do, and here are the capabilities we need you to have, and here are the solutions we're going to bring to you to help you build it, right? Defining all those things up front, being really clear about how those capabilities are connected to the business strategy. It's not just because we think so, but because there's an outcome related to business performance that we think will, will be measured. You know, I think it's helping managers understand that we sometimes didn't hire you because we thought you'd be a great manager. We probably hired you because you were great at domain expertise in something. Right. And so our job is to help you do that. So get them to understand the vulnerability of being new in a role and the resources that we want to provide to help them build those experiences and capabilities. How do you measure, in addition to just their team's performance, but yeah. how else do you measure bosses being better bosses? 
Right now we do engagement surveys and there are questions around, you know, people managers effectiveness in key areas. And so that is certainly one. Mm-hmm. We know who's better at communication, at setting clear priorities, um, at giving feedback, et cetera. Two certainly is, you know, we do exit interview surveys. And so some of the questions are around your overall experience and leadership and management. And so one of the things we're doing now is really looking at the end-to-end employee experience and how do we pulse sentiment during those sort of moments that matter. And so we have survey data right now around the candidate experience or the new hire experience or a couple of these moments and then exit. What we're trying to do now is really look holistically at what is the journey of an employee experience and then what are those pulsing moments around sentiment that we need to pay attention to and specifically what role do the managers play in that so that's a 2024 initiative coming that's really good you know i think we've we've done some research on this and there are key moments when people make decisions about whether they're going to leave an organization and especially new leaders coming in they say they usually make a decision within the first 90 days they might not leave for a year or two but they usually know within that first 90 days or 100 days, this is going to be a long-term place for me or not, right? So you sure. got to have that experience. It has to be great. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's recognizing that given the demographics of the workforce today, right? In some places, you've got four generations. In some places, you might even have five generations sure. of people working. Understanding what's important to everybody and recognize you're not going to satisfy everybody, but understanding the demographics and what that profile looks like. And therefore, how do you engage differently? How do you communicate differently? How do you help managers manage differently? And so obviously a big topic is, you know, how do you help them manage in a hybrid workforce? But I think it's also about recognizing the demographics of your workforce and how do you engage and coach and manage differently? So the best managers that I've ever worked with or the best leaders I've ever worked with, they have high integrity. You know, at the end of the day, they care about being good leaders and being good managers. It's not just a title they hold. They know what they're good at and they know what they're not. And they're open to coaching and feedback or putting a team around them who are better at some of those things. They're the ones who work both on their business and in their business, especially when you're new in a role as a manager, you're working on your business, right? You're looking at your talent, you're looking at your model, you're looking at your metrics. But at some point you got to pick your head up and think about how do I evolve this? And so how do I work both on my business to evolve it and in my business to improve it? Erin, I want to understand that a little bit more. The first part you described sounds like you were improving your business, but what's different about working in your business? In your business, I think is you're looking in, you're evaluating your talent, your processes, your strategies, your metrics. Okay. On your business is about how do I evolve it? What's the competitive landscape look like that I need to be aware of? What are the disruptors happening in my industry that I'm not paying attention to? And so when you're a frontline people manager, then of course, you're going to focus predominantly in your business. But I think as leaders grow, it's about how do I work on it? How do I intentionally bring that outside in thinking uh, into how I plan? Bring in outside ideas, bring in other influences, right? Got it. Yeah, for That's sure. Cool. My other probably last one on this is, The best leaders I've ever worked with designate a truth teller somewhere in their organization, their team, to ensure that they get unfiltered feedback. I learned that many years ago from somebody, and I have tried to adopt that same practice. But when you get to a certain level, you stop hearing about the things you always heard about, and you start hearing about things you never heard about, right? Uh And so people start to treat you differently. And so keep a truth teller somewhere in your organization Uh, to make sure that you're you've got that pulse going. 
And what is the thing that you think you typically don't hear about? Is it bad news you stop hearing about? People being ornery or upset? Yeah, I think it's bad news. I also think that sometimes people will think they have to be a little bit more guarded with you um, and less, you know, <laughs> less filtered. You know, the more you can show up authentic to who you are, the more people will feel comfortable saying to you, I got to be honest with you, that initiative is not working or, you know, this sentiment of employees that maybe we're not hearing about that I think is important for you to listen to. And so it's paying attention to it. And, and as a leader, creating an environment where people there's can, no punishment for giving you there's, this there's no punishment. Right. Right. Yeah. That's really a good insight. Talent shortages and financial services have been something we've heard a lot about, especially, uh, I think, in your industry. How are you addressing it? Is it changing, first of all? You're starting to see a shift where it's loosening up a little bit. How are you working on talent attraction these days, Erin? First, maybe if I take a bigger step back, people often knew financial engines or people often knew Edelman, but but we don't have as much brand recognition as an integrated entity. And so- one of the things we're working on is our employment brand. And so that people understand this is a company that has the benefit of having the capabilities on both the wealth planning side and the employee planning or workplace side. So there are big companies out there trying to do this, but they're too big. And so it's hard. We've done it. And now we're, you know, we're sort of going into our next chapter. So I think the first is helping talent out there know what the opportunity is um, at a company like ours. I think the second is, despite being small, there are some differentiators that we need to get out there more. And so whether it's around, you know, the flexibility that we're offering people, some of our benefits, you get a one month sabbatical after you've been here five years, right? So there are Mm -hmm. things that we think are slight differentiators that we need to get out there. But then I think it connects to this skills gap, right? And so making sure that we have a culture of learning and getting really clear about what are the skills we need, both in the domain arena, as well as leadership or management skills, and helping prospective employees know that you can grow and learn here. And so even though we're a company of 1600, which we have these different disciplines of businesses, you can move around the organization and get breadth of experience and continue to to adopt these skills that you need. Employee expectations seem to be changing over the last few years. Maybe it's been longer than that, four or five generations in the workplace. And I was wondering what your view is on employee expectations, how they've changed, and how are you approaching it in your work? The employee expectations have changed a lot. And even if you ask an employee today, how do they feel compared to how they felt two years ago, it's changed, right? So I think that the pandemic, to state the obvious, did a lot of things, right? It tested what could be done from home. And now I think we've got to figure out what should be done from home. Understanding your business model, your demographic footprint, I think is important to be able to say, okay, so how do we optimize this? And, you know, first of all, listening to your customer, using survey data, using focus groups that we're doing to say, what's really important? How can we ensure that we are creating the most optimal employee experience for you? And so don't make assumptions based on some of the information you read. So for example, you know, I think there are people who would say recent college grads want to work from home. They want to work from Starbucks. My experience over the last few years hiring interns is not true. They Mm. want a balance. They want to come in. They want to feel part of the environment, but they don't mm-hmm. want to do it five days a week. And they don't really want you to tell them how often, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't think it's an all or nothing. And so right. I think we're evolving our business strategy. We're taking a look at that connected to our talent strategy, our real estate strategy and our culture strategy. And so by bringing those things together, 
I think we're hoping that we can show employees where we're going as a company in this next chapter. We're looking at how do we create the right physical environment so it's an experience for people. And so you don't come in just to be on Zoom calls. You come in to build community, to build connection, to develop. Um, One of the things we're going to be launching next year is monthly people manager sessions. And so we're building those people manager capabilities that we talked about. We have five corporate offices across the country. And so we're going to be asking employees who are managers to come in, you know, as often as they can, you know, to go through a development session, but also to build that peer community as people managers. And so, you know, I think it's listening. I think it's testing and learning. Not everything is going to stick, but, you know, have the courage to try some things and pause and say, not working. All right. Thank you for your input. We tried it. And it's not, you know, we're going to try something else. Um, yeah. So I think you've got to be agile. You've got to be adaptive there. Right. Well, we produce this podcast in cooperation with Nero, the Northeast Human Resources Association. And our podcast producer, Megan Mandino, is here to ask you the Nero question of the podcast. All right. Bring it, Megan. Thank you, Dave. Hi, Erin. What advice would you give to someone just beginning their HR career? I had the opportunity recently to do this. We have a great HR intern that we converted. And so she and I were having a career conversation and it's probably similar to ones that I've delivered in my past. Um, You know, HR has become a really dynamic function and is increasingly more important to companies who are evolving. Like the ones who get it are the ones who see HR as a strategic partner. And so I think it's recognizing how different the capabilities are. They're markedly different than where they were, certainly when I started. So when I think about things like analytics and data-driven decision-making, when I think about executive coaching, when I think about understanding business strategy and connecting org design to that, those are capabilities that when I started on my career, I don't know that anybody would have been talking about. And so I think it's knowing what the key skills and capabilities are of HR today and prioritizing those. I think that's one. Two is move around as much as you can, whether you're at a bigger company or a smaller company, get involved in different things and mostly to weed out what you don't want to do. If I think about what I thought I wanted to do in HR when I first started, it's very different than where I landed. When people ask me to talk to their college age kids, they say they don't know what they want to do. And I said, did you? Right. And so, (laughs) you know, and then I think philosophically, one of the things I've often said is, If someone needs to get credit for the work they do, HR is probably not the profession for them. And and I mean that seriously, that oftentimes we are doing a lot behind the scenes. And so we get satisfaction from seeing the impact. And so an example is when you see a leader that you're coaching show up differently and people see it, that's fantastic. I don't need credit for it. I just love that that's happening and people are benefiting from it. So I think my advice is if you're somebody who getting credit is important and that's okay, then this is probably not the the profession for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of advice, what advice would you give your 30-year-old self if you could go back and say, Aaron, take this advice? Keep surrounding yourself with really smart people who take risks, who have integrity, and who are willing to share their experiences. I benefited tremendously from that. Two is, as cliche as it's gonna sound, um, careers are a lattice, not a ladder. And so take the lateral moves, get different experiences, build breath, and don't worry about the promotions, they will come. You know, stay curious and courageous. Um, Those are two things that I learned from a leader very early on my career. And so ask good questions, figure out the why, 
and be courageous. Don't be afraid to, you know, put an unpopular point of view out there. And then I, <laughs> the thing that came to my mind when you said 30 was uh, my advice to my 30 year old self is when you show up to work after returning from maternity leave and you have baby spit up down your back and didn't realize it until halfway through the day, own it. It's a badge <laughs> of honor as a working mother. And so own it. That's my advice. <laughs> That's great. What's something important about HR or business that you've changed your mind about over time? Understanding the importance of the readiness of an organization to adopt something that HR is trying to do. It may be that what we are trying to do is the absolute right thing, but the readiness of the organization is not there yet. And so pause, recognize it, try it a different time. And and I think you know, when you're earlier in your career, you want to check the box, right? You want to make sure that we're delivering these things and things like that. This is the right thing to do. Let's do it, right? Let's do it, right? It's on our list. It's on our map. It's not being Um, accepted. Yeah, it's not being adopted. It won't work. And so I think it's about really understanding the readiness of the CEO, the leadership team, the organization in general, where the people manager capability is at, right? Having a good pulse on that And then being able to adapt your approach or the timing of your approach, I think, is something that I didn't appreciate early in my career that I very much appreciate now. That's that's great insight. Favorite book, podcast, what's on your mind these days? I am obsessed with Jay Shetty. He wrote Think Like a Monk. And so I'm listening to that right now. And I'm also um, listening to his On Purpose podcast. Um, If people haven't heard him, you should hear him. Yes, he's amongst the stars right now in Hollywood, but he's also somebody whose principles I agree with. I love his views on mental health. I love his views, particularly on living intentionally, but he also has some really great podcast interviews with leaders. And I love just how authentic the conversations are. Uh It's not sort of the programmed stuff, but it's really sort of these great authentic conversations. So I, I would say if you're not obsessed with him yet, get ready to be. That's great. And lastly, an interesting fact, something about you that's not on your bio or your LinkedIn profile that uh, you'd like to share. I am a proud hockey mom. I spend a lot of times in hockey rinks and people immediately assume that my son must play hockey, but I have three daughters and two out of three of them play competitive hockey. So I don't have a cowbell. I don't get into fights in the stands, but I am a very passionate hockey mom. (laughs) That's great. Erin, it was so great having you as a guest. Thank you for joining us on the Hennessy Report today. Thanks so much. I appreciate it very much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.